Happy Mother's Day. It's amazing how many emotions are evoked when we begin to talk about Mother's Day. Mother of three notoriously unruly youngsters was asked whether or not she'd have children again if she had it to do all over again. She said yes, but just not the same ones. (laughs) A teacher asked a boy a question. Suppose your mother baked a pie and there were seven of you, your parents and five children. What part of the pie would you get? The boy thought for a minute and he says, a sixth. The teacher says, I'm afraid that you don't know your fractions. And the boy replied, yeah, I know my fractions. She says, there are seven of you. He goes, yeah, but if my mom's cutting the pie, she would look around at all of us and say, I don't need a piece. Mother's Day is a bittersweet day for many people. Because in the minds of many today, there's, there's no one in the world like mother. And that can go both ways. There's lots of things that you can think about mother. Some people, it's a day that you couldn't wait to get up this morning to call your mom and tell her how much she means to you and the influence that she's had in your life. And for some of you, it could have been a very difficult day because of the strained relationship that you may have had with your mom. And perhaps your memories are not all that special. For some of you, motherhood was an accident. You're dealing with the issues that come with that, and it may not have been a welcome one. And for some of you, biological motherhood is impossible, and you struggle daily with the emotions of something of that nature. For some of you, motherhood means that there is absolutely no sleep in your life right now. And the best gift that you could give would just have everybody go away for an hour and let me take a nap. Motherhood under the best circumstances is not a bed of roses or a primrose path. It's work. Wilhelm Busch said, to become a mother is not so difficult. On the other hand, being a mother is very much so. And so I recognize today that approaching motherhood and approaching Mother's Day, that some of you approach it with great humor and others great reverence, and some of you approach it with sadness. But I want you to know something, that real mothers are special people. Real mothers would like to be able to eat a whole candy bar all by themselves and drink a soda without any floaters in it. Real mothers know that their kitchen utensils will probably end up in the backyard in the sandbox at some point or another. Real mothers have sticky floors, filthy ovens, and everything from four feet and down on your refrigerator is constantly loaded with fingerprints, but you have happy kids. Real mothers know that dried Play-Doh does not come out of carpets very easily. And real mothers ask, why me, from time to time? Only to have a little voice right beside you look up at you with those eyes and say, because I love you the best. Real mothers are an integral part of our lives, and we wouldn't be who we are without them. Some of the greatest people in history look back on their lives and say, if it wasn't for my mother, I wouldn't be who I am today. And this is also true of one Old Testament individual who I'd like to look at this morning by the name of Moses because he was a man with two mothers, and I'd like to talk about that this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn, if you would, to Exodus chapter 2. I would like to read the the first ten verses of Exodus chapter 2 to set the stage for you for these next few moments. And I recognize that a lot of you have Mother's Day reservations before long, so we will be brief, but there is a word today. Beginning with Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. 
When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank, and she saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her slave girl out to get it. She opened it and saw the baby, and he was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take the baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him, and when the child grew older, she took him him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Lord, as we approach your word this morning, I pray that over these next few moments, not only would we be instructed in your word and feel nourished spiritually, but that this would be something that we could honor the women in our lives and thank you for them. We pray your blessing and anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. A man with two mothers. The Bible clearly tells us that there were two essential women that were in the lives of, in the life of Moses to bring about what he needed in his life to become the man that God wanted him to be. Both of these women fulfilled a maternal role in the life of Moses. And they made certain choices that affected his life and affected the impact and the direction of his life. The choices that they made made Moses the man that he is. There's a statement that said, The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Some of you may have heard that. And I want to examine with you three choices that these women made in the life of Moses that determined some of the outlook of his life and how God was going to use him. The first choice that these mothers made in the life of Moses was that they chose to give Moses life. They chose to give Moses life. I want you to consider first the choice of Jochebed, his birth mother. Understand that Moses was born into a culture of death for Hebrew baby boys. If you were to take a look at the first chapter of Exodus, it begins to outline for you the culture and the times and what was happening. One of the things that was happening was the Israelites, the children of Israel, were expanding at such a rapid rate. They they were growing in numbers so rapidly that the Pharaoh himself began to feel threatened because he began to understand that at the rate that they are having children, it won't be long that if an enemy comes to take us, if an enemy comes to attack us, if they entreat the children of Israel to join them, there will be more of them than us and we would be defeated by this. And so the Pharaoh began to formulate in his mind a plan by which he could keep the population control of the children of Israel down. And it started by, the Bible tells us, that they were just going to work them to death. And as you read that chapter, it says that they were ruthless and worked them hard and they were on them day and night and they oppressed them, the scripture says, so that they could work, literally work the men until they died and would have no energy and no strength. The terms that are used in chapter 1 are oppressed and, and very oppressed and ruthless in the way that they worked them. They made them work hard so that they would literally keep the population down by starving them to death with work. The 
The Bible says that the harder they worked them, the more the children of Israel increased. Apparently, the men were not tired enough when they got home at the end of the day to keep from having children. And so the children began to multiply even more. And so the Pharaoh said, you know what? Here's the next thing we have to do. He brought all of the midwives together that were to be the ones that were going to be delivering the babies. And he said, I want you to kill every male child at the moment they're born. The moment they are born, either throw them in the Nile River or sometime during the delivery process, kill them because I do not want to see a Hebrew male child alive. We've got to stop this. As you read through the chapter, you'll discover that they had some issues with that, but that became the law of the land. It was a culture of death. And so when Jochebed gave birth, and we read about it in the second chapter, she knew that by keeping her child alive, that she was breaking the law of the land. In fact, one of the interesting things that comes out in chapter 1 is those who were the midwives said they are a hardy people. The women are really hardy. They're not even calling us to help them give birth. They are giving birth on their own, and the babies are healthy. There's not anything that we can do to keep up with this. And so this culture of death was taking place at the time when Moses was born. The Bible tells us that during the time of her pregnancy... They did not have ultrasounds that day, so she didn't have little balloons to put on Facebook to pop, whether it was going to be pink or blue. They had no idea. Finally, the day arrived, and she gave birth, and this beautiful baby was born. And the Scripture says that the the terms that are used is the baby was fine. It's good and pleasant and agreeable and happy. He He was a beautiful, lovely baby boy. And instantly, Jochebed understood that she had a choice to make because she knew by law that he did not have the right to live. But she chose life. She chose life. The Bible says to us in, in Hebrews eleven twenty three that by faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child. I laugh at that because I don't know any parents who see their child and think, this is no ordinary child. We all have high expectations and big dreams when it comes to our kids. So I laughed at that, I thought, but that was really interesting. No ordinary child. But they were not afraid of the king's edict. I also find it interesting that they hid him for three months. You know why they hid him for three months? Because you cannot hide a three-month-old baby boy. They will not be quiet. After a while, everybody knew that there was a boy that was not supposed to be alive that was around. They hid him for as long as they could. But she could not kill her own child. And she was... Also understanding that she did not have the ability to secure his life either. And so she made a little basket. Now I have seen women work on things that are really important to them. And they spend a lot of time. And I would imagine that knowing she was going to put her baby in this basket, it was the best engineered basket that has ever been made. When it says that she took the reeds together and formed them and that she put all of the pitch and and the stuff, I want you to know this thing was over-pitched. It was not going to leak. If she's putting her baby in it, it it probably had little side things to keep it from rolling over. And uh, She worked hard to make sure that this basket was top quality. The day came when she had to put her baby in that basket and push him out into the river. And then she said, now... To, her, to Moses' older sister, I want you to stay nearby and watch that basket. If it turns over, you swim out there and you put him back in it. You watch that basket. I can't even begin to imagine what was going through her heart as she pushes that out, recognizing I chose to give him life, but I can't secure his life. It's in the hands of God now. 
And as the basket begins to float down the river and the little sister's walking along watching all of that, but she chose to give him life. The scripture goes on to say that the next mother that's involved in this was a princess. And this princess also chose to give him life. The daughter of Pharaoh comes to the river to bathe, and when she sees this little floating ark, and I use the term ark because I believe it was well constructed, she sends her servants over to investigate it, and they bring to her this basket, and she opens it up and looks inside, and there is a little baby that is crying in there. And in that instant, this princess had a decision to make because as she opened up the basket and unwrapped the baby, she could tell because he was circumcised that this was a Hebrew boy, and instantly she knew that in the culture of death in which she lived, this baby should die. But she chose life. She chose life. She would go against everything that her father's edicts and laws would describe. This pagan princess, born into a culture of death, chose life for a child that should have been killed. Now, we look at that scripturally today, and I want you to understand something. I love my country. I'm so glad to be an American. However, in America today, we live in a culture of death for babies. I want you to understand that from 1973 to 2016, almost 59 million babies have been aborted. On the average, women who give reasons for why they have abortions, 75% of them say having a baby would interfere with their work or their school or their lifestyle that they want to live. Of all of the things that take place, 47% of women today that have abortions have had one before, and 61% of the women that have abortions today are already the mother of at least one child. There is much that I can say, but I just want you to understand that when we look at the Scripture and we see Moses born into a culture of death, I want you to know that we live in a culture of death as well today. And I'm thankful today for you mothers who chose life. Thank you for choosing life. But let me tell you something. I thank you for choosing life. I applaud you. I'm so thankful for a mother that chose life. But for those of you that are here today who may have experienced the pain of abortion, I want you to know something. God loves you. God cares about you. While your choice to end the life of a child was not right in the eyes of God, I want you to know that I have a God who forgives and who loves and restores and renews. What an awesome God we have that comes alongside of us in our pain and restores us. So scripture, we look at this and we recognize death would have been easier, but both of these women chose to give Moses life. Not only did they choose life, but they also chose love for Moses. Both of the women that God placed in the life of Moses loved him more than they loved themselves. His birth mother risked her life to save his life. His adopted Egyptian mother risked the wrath of her father, the Pharaoh of the land, to save the life of Moses. And you ask yourself this question, why would they do this? Why would they risk their own life for this child? And the only answer that makes sense is the depth of love that they have. It's love. Jochebed loved Moses because it was her son. Her body gave him life. Her body nourished him as he grew. 
Her love for Moses allowed her to fulfill the greatest earthly destiny that she could have as she gave him life. She risked everything to save him. And her love allowed him to fulfill God's given destiny for him. But then there's a princess in this story that it doesn't make as much sense. There are moments when you look at the history of Scripture and you recognize the divine providence of God is at work when nothing else makes sense. This princess could have adopted anybody. She could have chosen anybody. And adoption was something that was quite prolific in their day and age. But God brought Moses to her and her heart was stirred and she fell in love with the baby. And from that moment on, he became hers. No other reason except that her heart was moved for a helpless child and she fell in love with him. And she named him Moses. It was the princess that made his name, which means drawn out, which refers to the fact that Moses was drawn out of the Nile River. His name also is very providential in the fact that Moses would draw out God's people later on in his life and be the one that would lead them to safety. So God put love for this child in the hearts of two vastly different women. He spared Moses from certain death because he had a plan for this man's life and he was going to use Moses in a tremendous way. Today, if you were born into a family where you were loved, if you received love, if you have a a mother that encourages you, you should rejoice today because you have been blessed with the love of a mother. You've been blessed. In the winter of 1863, there was a woman who was trying to get home in a blizzard back to her house, and as she was walking along, the blizzard became so great that she knew she was not going to make it as she was walking across the hills of South Wales, carrying her newborn baby in her arms. When she recognized that she was not going to be able to finish this journey, she knelt down in the snow and began to dig out a little mound of snow. She took off her clothes, her, her garments and her coats, and she wrapped up her baby, and she covered the baby with her body, and there she froze to death around her child. When the blizzard was over and they began to dig out or what was around there, somebody found this hump in the snow and they begin to dig down there and discover this mother that had given her life for her child and as they rolled her over, they found the baby alive and crying underneath her. Years later, that child, David Lloyd George, would grow to manhood and become the prime minister of Great Britain during World War I, who always, every day of his life, learned what it meant to be so loved by a mother that she's willing to give her life to take care of him. Thank God for mothers who love their children. So not only did these mothers choose life, they also chose love, and then lastly, they chose leadership. They chose to give Moses leadership. The Scripture clearly tells us that both of these ladies invested into Moses' life some qualities that later on God would begin to elevate and use in some very great ways. The Egyptian mother, the Scripture tells us in Acts chapter 7, verses 21 and 22, that when he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own. And Moses was educated in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So here is this Hebrew child who in a culture of death, the mother chose love, was adopted by an Egyptian who chose, who chose life for him. And in the middle of a day and age when he should have been 
not even allowed to exist. He's given the best education possible, and he rises to the top and becomes one who has the ability to influence great people with his speeches. I looked at that, and I said, that's just like a mother who always wants the best for their children. You talk to a mother for very long, and she's going to brag on her kids. She'll find something in their life that she can talk about, about how wonderful they are. And so this princess gave him the best available education. He was trained for leadership, and that training he would use years later to be everything that God wanted him to be. But his birth mother also gave him some things and invested in his life that his adoptive mother could not. His real mother introduced him to God, the God of Israel. During those times when she had put him in the river and he was discovered and his sister says, Hey, do you need me to go find a Hebrew mother who would nurse him? And she runs back and she hires him. Now, does it get any better for an earthly mother to get paid to raise your own kid? Sounds like a pretty good gig to me. So she's sitting there and she's humming to Moses and she's looking in his eyes and they're bonding together and she sings and she speaks and she tells him stories and during the time when he is growing up she tells him about God. She tells him about the true and living God and about the false gods and religions of Egypt. She tells him stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. She told him the reasons that the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt. She would have told him about the promises of God that someday the Lord will raise up a deliverer. And she would have instilled in this young boy's life a respect for God and the God of his fathers. And her lessons took root within his heart. And Hebrews 11.24 says that by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead for his reward. By faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger and he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. How does that happen? It happens because there was a mother that instilled faith into the heart of a little boy. Mothers, I want you to know something. Your kids will repeat the songs they hear you singing. Your kids will repeat the words that they hear you using. Your children, I love watching in children's church and when we have opportunity for kids to be here because there's that moment when, when you begin to praise, when the life of the Spirit is beginning to be unleashed in our praise, they'll look around and I want you to know your kids do this. They begin to raise their hands and if you're swaying, they, they begin to sway with you. They're learning from you that the value of your heart of worship is being transplanted into them, and those are lessons they never forget. And Moses is an example of that. Today we live with the desire that our children would have it better than we do. I don't know if I've ever heard a parent say, I want my child to have it worse than I did. It's against the very nature of motherhood. Everybody wants their kids to have it better. And so I would say to you today that if your children leave your home and for some reason they never caught on to how to dance in their dance classes, if they never learned to play ball well and were never chosen for an all-star team, 
If they never learned to conjugate a verb well or solve a long division problem or multiply fractions, but they know Jesus Christ as their Savior, you did a great job, Mom. Because there will be a lot of children that will stand before God with all kinds of trophies, but they will have lacked the one thing that they need for an eternity with Jesus Christ, and that's the faith of their mother. And so in our day and age and our desire to give our kids better educations and better homes and better lives and better things, and what we should really be focusing on today through the message of the Scripture is this. We better make sure that they have a better faith. We better make sure that they have a better relationship with God. We better make sure that they have disciplines within their life that will hold them in the middle of storms of their life. Please live as a mother that your children can call and know that they will get great godly advice from somebody who has lived life longer than them, that they know they can count on you because they know that you love them more than anybody else in the world. So as we're seeking for better, take them to the Lord. More than anything else, we should give our children Jesus Christ, Him crucified, resurrected, and the hope of our salvation. Max Lucado wrote a book called A Gentle Thunder, and with some adaptations, I want to read something that he wrote about moms in this that I thought was rather appropriate for this morning. Moms, why do you love your newborn child? I know, I know, it's a silly question, but indulge me. Why do you? For months, this baby has brought you pain. They made you break out in pimples. They made you walk like a duck. Because of them, you craved sardines and crackers, and then you threw them up every morning. They punched you in the tummy. They occupied a space that wasn't theirs, and they ate food that they didn't fix. You kept them warm. You kept them safe. You kept them fed. But did she ever say thank you? Are you kidding? She's no more than out of the womb. Then she starts to cry. The room's too cold. The blanket's too rough. The nurse is too mean. And who does she want? Mom. Don't you ever get a break? I mean, who's been doing the work for the last nine months? Why can't dad take over? Nope, dad won't do. Baby wants mom. She didn't even tell you that she was coming. She probably surprised you when your water broke in the grocery store. She just came. And what a coming it was. She rendered you a barbarian for a little bit. You screamed. You might even have swore. You bit bullets and you tore the sheets and now look at you. Your back aches, your head pounds, your body's drenched in sweat, every muscle strained, your skin is stretched, never return. You should be angry, but are you? No, far from it. Because on your face is a longer than forever love that's represented within your eyes. They've done nothing for you, yet you love them. They brought pain to your body and nausea to your morning, yet you treasure them. Their face is wrinkled and their eyes are dim, yet all you can talk about is their good looks and their fantastic future. She's going to wake you up every night for the next six months, and that doesn't even matter. I can see it on your face. You're crazy about her. Why? Why does a mother love her newborn? Because the baby is hers. Even more, 
because the baby is her. It's her blood. It's her flesh. It's her sinew. It's her spine, her hope, her legacy. It bothers her not that the baby gives nothing. She knows that a newborn is helpless and weak. She knows babies don't ask to come into the world. She's just mine. And God knows that each and every one of us today are his baby. We're his idea. We are his. We're his face and we're his eyes and we're his hands and we're his touch. We are him. God providentially prepared Moses for his role as a deliverer. And he gave Moses two mothers to give him everything that he was going to need to become the man he wanted him to be. I'm going to ask every woman in this auditorium this morning to stand and come to the front, if you would, please. Every woman. some of you know my daughter is the wife of a military man I know this is, this is not Father's Day it's Mother's Day but I'm going to brag on her a minute she's a prolific writer and very articulate and she wrote something on her Facebook this morning that I want to read to you and the reason that all of you are here today is because you are all filled and loaded with the spirit of motherhood and there are some of you that have wanted to be physical mothers that for whatever reason it hasn't happened yet and some of you long and hope that maybe your day will come that you'll find a man that will love you and together raise a family and some of you are mothers of small children and you're just hoping somehow you can get a little rest and some of you have kids that are grown and some of you have grandchildren some of you have no children, but I want you to know that the way you influence lives because it becomes a spirit of motherhood to them. There have been women in my life that were not just my mom that spoke to me in key portions of my life that deeply affected who I am today. You all deserve to be here on Mother's Day. And I want to read you something. And if it makes you cry, I'm sorry. It's Mother's Day. We stand in solidarity today as women, she wrote. To the women who want to become mothers and cannot, I stand with you. I wonder if the celebration of this day feels like salt in your wounds. I'm so sorry for your pain. You do not grieve these dreams deferred alone. I pray that you will never give up hope. And today as women, we stand in solidarity. To the birth mothers that chose life for children but bravely chose to place them into the arms of another family, I stand with you. I admire your selflessness and courage, and I'm so sorry for your pain. You do not grieve alone. Today we stand as mothers in solidarity. To the foster mothers that love fiercely and fully while holding hurting children in their open hands, you are the real superheroes. May we support you and stand with you. You have loved and you've let them go. And you do not grieve alone because today we stand as mothers in solidarity. To the mothers that have lost a child, 
it must seem so unfair and unnatural and out of order. I cannot imagine your pain, the pain of your reality, but you do not grieve alone because today we stand in solidarity. To the single mothers that struggle to do it all, the providing, the laundry, the bedtime routine, the morning hustle, the shuttling of kids everywhere and all without a partner to provide backup or to give you a break. I admire you. Your strength and your grit amaze me. May you have a village of people willing to support you. Today you are not alone and as mothers we stand in solidarity. To the mothers that are deployed right now and haven't hugged or kissed your kids in months, you are the superheroes. I'm sure you would give anything to spend Mother's Day with your family, but thank you for being willing to give anything for your country. Thank you for defending us and serving us and sacrificing for us. Your sacrifices are noticed. You do not grieve alone. Today we stand in solidarity. To the mothers and children who are estranged or those who have very fragile relationships, I'm sorry for your pain. It must be hard to see the happy pictures and posts of praise and I am praying for a miracle for you but you do not grieve alone for today we stand in solidarity to the children who have lost their mother I'm so sorry for your loss and your pain I bet you would give anything for one more phone call one more meal together one more hug you do not grieve alone for today we stand in solidarity today mothers We give you a hug. We pray for whatever you need to get through this day because you stand in solidarity. And I want to pray for you. I can't even look you in the eyes. But I want to pray for you. Men, would you please stand? And women that are still out there, if you would, you can just kind of stretch a hand forth if you would. there's some remarkable people standing here some remarkable people Father as we stand together in solidarity on this day we recognize the value and the gift of motherhood this church wouldn't exist without them they've prayed us through a lot of difficulties there are people that are standing here today that because of the women of faith around them they are here there are people that are saved today because of the prayers of mothers that would not give up grandmothers that said I'm going to touch the feet of God in prayer until something changes and as a result of that there are some that are living for the Lord today there are other ladies that are here today whose hearts are broken this morning for reasons that they cannot even put into words yet today the women of our church stand in solidarity and a spirit of motherhood is alive and well here They will hug one another and they will kiss and there will be things that only another woman will ever be able to understand. But today they stand in solidarity. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for these who chose life, chose love and chose to instill in their children leadership. We are all better because of it. And on this day, we ask that you would dispense to them a blessing that would mean something to them in a brand new way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, ladies, here's what I would like you to do. We have a chocolate fountain in the remnant room that is just for you because nothing helps wipe tears away better than chocolate. Guys, this is not for you. 
And so I'm going to ask the women to march right up this aisle and march right into that room and enjoy your chocolate fountain while we just applaud you. Please go ahead. <laughs> 